either in a moment of unchecked ambition or a moment of absolute folly, I have made the decision this morning to preach on why I shouldn't be here this morning in church, quantum mechanics, cause and effect blindness, the valley of the shadow of death, and a handsome red-headed boy with beautiful eyes. Not necessarily in that particular order. <clears throat> in 1985, a physicist named Nathaniel Hicks writes a book called Quantum Reality. Hicks is a physicist, part of a group of physicists and philosophers who are looking at quantum mechanics and its relationship to metaphysics, or quantum mechanics and its relationship to being, to our lives, to the function of the universe. And Hicks, in his book, Quantum Reality, seeks to impart the wisdom that comes from quantum physics or quantum mechanics into the mind of the layperson, to you and to me, those of us who wouldn't normally understand the concepts. I can tell you that Hicks has a far higher opinion of our minds than is really true. It's an incredibly challenging, somewhat frustrating, very confusing work where Hicks lays out, seeks to describe or demonstrate eight particular theories around quantum mechanics. The fourth theory that Hicks examines is called the many worlds interpretation. The many worlds interpretation is um, something that we might call the multiverse view of reality. It is through that particular interpretation of quantum mechanics that we get this idea that there are a multitude, an infinite number of realities that are occurring all at the same time across the cosmos reflecting different decisions that might be made in one direction or another. It is from this multiverse view of quantum mechanics that we get things like Schrodinger's cat, or we get like the colloquial wisdom of there's more here than meets the eye, or we get the idea that a butterfly flaps its wings in the northern hemisphere and a tsunami comes into being in the southern hemisphere. It is this idea that there are different things happening at the very same time. For many years now, this is the lens through which I have viewed a lot of the teachings of Jesus. You recall that there are many times all throughout the Gospels where Jesus says things like, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to them, 
or he says, the kingdom of heaven is now, or he says, remind them that the kingdom of God is at hand, seeking to help us understand that there are seemingly, at the very least, two realities that are playing at the very same time. It, through the lens of the gospel, those two realities are the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, as the story describes it, inviting the disciple or the spiritually curious person to imagine different scenarios for ourselves. When we go back to this story that we have from the Hebrew scriptures, from the book of Samuel, it's one of the most magnificent and as far as origin stories are concerned, one of the most important origin stories in all of the biblical narrative. The story tells the story of how David becomes anointed by God on his way to becoming the king of Israel. And if we think about it, we would think that this character of David, David is probably the second most important character in all of the biblical narrative. And the way that David is discovered by humanity is curious and almost absurd when we think about our strongly held opinions about how things might go or how things ought to proceed or how things should be. For all of the people in that room on that day, and maybe even for us, Eliab is the king of Israel, the oldest, the smartest, the strongest, the most charismatic one is the one who arises to the throne and takes power. And yet, in a wonderfully, amazingly comical and cosmic story, we find that it is David, the brother who's not even invited to the party, is the one that God chooses to anoint to become king, the greatest king in the history of Israel. He is only described as redheaded, handsome, and having beautiful eyes. Does anyone else other than me get the idea that God is inviting us to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to open our minds to different possibilities, to let go of our strongly held notions about how things should be or would be if it weren't for other interruptions. The psalm that we have for this morning is probably the most well-known psalm in the works, in the poems, in the hymns that are attributed to that boy king musician David. 
And in the 23rd Psalm, there's a detail that we read by, that we pass by each time we recite it, each time we hear it, that I think we don't often consider. It's my understanding that we as people who are oriented toward a spiritual or religious world, that oftentimes we come to the table with this sensibility that because of our religious devotion, because of our spiritual orientation, because of our worshiping orientation, we as followers of God should have lives that follow a very smooth trajectory. Anybody other than me thought like, really, God? Really? After all these Sundays that I've gone to church, and now this? And yet, the poem itself has this interesting detail inviting us to surrender the notion that life should be serene and calm and grounded at every beat, at every moment. The psalmist says, yea, though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Does anyone else have the sense that God might be inviting us to open ourselves up to, to surrender a different understanding about how our life would proceed, especially from a spiritual or religious trajectory. It is not that everything is puppy dogs, poetry, and rainy days when you and I embark on the path to discipleship, but it is, it is that we are never alone, that we are always connected, tied at hand and hip and heart to the creator, the author and creator of the universe, that relationship with God and with other is the primary trajectory of the disciple. On this fourth Sunday in Lent, the gospel delivers us another curious story. Both the disciples and the religious authority, the Pharisees, the institutional authority, have some expectations around this blind man that they encounter. They retain a metaphysical view of existence that physicists describe as causality or cause and effect. The disciples ask Jesus, who was the one who made the mistake? Was it the blind man himself? Or was it one of his upstream relatives that caused this brokenness, this struggle to be visited upon this man? And Jesus, responding from a different reality, from a different 
orientation to living assures both his disciples and through that lesson, the Pharisees, that life is not always cause and effect. That just because we do good things doesn't necessarily mean all the good comes. Or just because we do bad things doesn't mean that we inherit struggle. That there is a different way of living and understanding. And that it is in the connection, in the relationship between one and the other. In the service to humanity, particularly humanity who is struggling where the presence of God and the reality of love and the nurture and healing that we all seek makes itself manifest in the universe that surrounds us. Does anyone else sitting in this church other than me think that perhaps God is calling us to soften to open, to let go of our strongly held notions, our grudges, our expectations. Does anyone else here think that perhaps the road to discipleship is about becoming softer and more open, about trying to see more ways of living than just the ones that we've inherited from our context, from our family, from the institutional church, from our history, from our trauma. <laughs> Amen, Brother Benny. I told you earlier that I was going to talk about how I'm not supposed to be here this morning. And it's true. In another one of those realities, I'm meant to be in St. John's Episcopal Church this morning in Houston, Texas. And my orientation to a congregation is meant to be this one. I should be sitting in a pew at St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas, alongside a wife who was born and raised in the city of Houston and went to the same school that I did. Alongside my wife's shoulder, I should be sitting next to kids, kids who even look like me, kids who went to the same school that I went to. This afternoon, I'm probably supposed to be playing golf at Houston Country Club or River Oaks Country Club. And then in the morning, I'll be showing up at my law office or at my place of business, and I'll be living out the life that everyone expected me to live, including me. But there has been one difference in my life, and that difference has been orienting myself, even from a young age, even at late adolescence, to the possibility, to at first, at the thin possibility that there is something more, something different, something spiritual, something sacred 
that I might orient my life toward. And here I am, living my very best life. Not absent the valley of the shadow of death, not absent confusing interactions with humanity, not absent struggle sometimes wondering whether I'm in the right place or the wrong place. But knowing deep down, knowing in my toes that this is the life for me. Does anyone else in this church wonder if God might be calling you and me to a life that is softer? and more open, less fixed, less narrow, more loving, more kind. Amen.